Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Margot Purcell. Margot helps organizations and teams to uncover hidden talent and generate ideas that lead to transformational change. Margot is a creative, driven and engaging learning and development professional with over 18 years of progressive achievement in training and development, consulting, public engagement, advocacy, customer service and coaching. Join Margot as she talks with Alicia Olandeska about transitioning from being a stay-at-home mom into starting a business and becoming a fractional CFO. The mic is yours, Margot. So welcome everyone. My name is Margot Purcell. I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of Inception U, and I am here on the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast with Alicia Olandeska and Joel. Yeah, Joel in the background. <laughs> He's here and Joel's in the background and I just hit the microphone. So welcome Alicia and Alicia, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. As Margot said, my name is Alicia Olandeska. I'm the co-founder and CFO of SOS Charging Solutions, our original company and now the same, same titles for SOS Web AR. Um, I'm also a fractional CFO and I've dabbled in the fi fiber arts space, I suppose, and I have two kids. That's what I do for, for my work. It's you for your range. <laughs> Just a few things and a fur baby Bella yeah, who's sitting here baby. with us. Mm -hmm. Alicia, when we got to meet the first time, I think we did meet through Inception U. We did yeah. a lunch and learn and you were really generous to come and share some of your experiences and so on with our learners. And what really struck me was the transitions that you've been through. You didn't start your career as someone who's in the tech industry creating solutions for people at events. You started your career completely differently. Can you share a little bit with us about that? Yeah, the my original career choice was to be a stay-at-home mom. That was that was my goal and we had achieved that goal and and I all of the transitions in my career have happened because of outside circumstances. Mm -hmm. However, they've all tended to turn out to be things that I'm deeply passionate about, which is figuring out complex problems. I like doing things that take a long time that I, I kind of like being a bit underdogish. So for me, I think that's why I never really had a career choice in mind is because I wasn't really clear on what I was passionate about doing. And that came with experience. So I'm 38 and I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up outside of a parent. So our first business was spun out of Joel starting SOS charging solutions and then us doubling down on that. Once Calgary hit a recession, it was supposed to be our side hustle or his side hustle and uh, that was the original plan and then Calgary hit a recession and so he was part of a wave of layoffs so we had to both double down on the business I was hadn't been working for the past seven years I hadn't been in the workforce I was home with the kids so my employment opportunities were very limited and yeah it was really hard to get a job so we thought we have this new thing like let's double down on that that seemed to be the safer of two very risky options one looking for traditional work and the other starting a business it, it honestly felt like the safer choice at that point so that's what we did and then the pandemic when the pandemic hit we were kind of in the worst position possible as far as who was whose businesses were affected we were an event rental company 
and we dealt in hardware. So you couldn't take that virtual, you couldn't mm -hmm. do anything really with that. There was no online transition. So we kind of were headed into our best month yet. And within 36 hours, all of our orders and contracts for the year were canceled. And it took two years and two weeks for that business to, that was com pretty much completely shut down. I would say 95% shut down over the past two years. So I think the benefit of, if we're talking about transition of being in those positions is that there wasn't really room to waffle. There were very definite things that had happened and it's, it's kind of easy to make decisions about your future in that in that space because you, you have very limited options. Mm. So it's pick one or pick the other That's and, and go with it. Yeah, so that's kind of how I fell into having a tech startup, having a small business. I began as a fractional CFO during the pandemic just to consult a bit on the side and discovered that I really loved that. And again, born out of just circumstances. So I've been very fortunate in that regard that with the limited options, you take a look at what you have, you take a look at what you don't have, and you kind of double down on what you have. And I had the skills to be a fractional CFO, so I went with it and it turns out I have a passion for it. And I wouldn't say I'm super tech savvy, but... Um, turns out that I have a passion for making things and augmented reality is also right up that alley. So I don't know if that was the long and roundabout or if I even answered the question, but. <laughs> well, there are a few things that came up in your, in sharing a bit of your story so far. So there's a whole swath of people who will connect with what you said and shared. So a couple of things that I heard, one is, you know, seven years at home, I didn't have many options. And there's probably a lot of women who have that same sense that, well, now that I've been at home, who will employ me? Where can I go? And then a recession on mm -hmm. top of that. So not seeing a lot of options, they were less and less available. And you are in line with people who have been working those seven years. What did you grasp on? What did you really focus on when you were looking at finding and creating those opportunities amongst a swath of people who are also looking for opportunities? At that time, the one good thing that we really found was that we could create our own future. So, you know, if nobody else was willing to employ me, I could employ myself. And that was very enticing at the time. I knew it come, would come with a lot of hard work, but that was very enticing. So it, it automatically kind of like takes out the stress of competing with anybody else for jobs because I applied for it and I got it and I chose myself and, and that made that really simple. And in that opportunity as well we we didn't have a lot validating our assumption that people needed cell phone charging at events aside from our own experience so we we were able to look for other examples of people needing cell phone charging at events and turn that into something so even though event planners at that time maybe weren't asking for it or knew to ask for it or knew that it was available we could demonstrate that it was a requirement and build our sales strategy around that what I'm hearing then is that you recognize needs that people have, and then there's some complex problem solving and addressing those needs. Tell me a little bit more about your process of doing that complex problem solving and even identifying what those needs are. I guarantee if anybody who wants to start a business, if you have a need for something and there's nothing out there, you can, you can build it. You just need, mm. you need that one. I mean, it was Joel sitting on the floor in his suit, trying to charge his cell phone, thinking why on earth is there Wi-Fi at this event, but no charging. So they're enabling us to use our technology and not supporting us on the other end when the battery mm. dies, but that doesn't magically mean you have a business. So if you identify a need, it's usually based on your own either observance or what you personally need. If you're open to learning and, and pivoting from that and not just getting stuck on your own 
conception of, of what you think your customer needs, listening to your customer, you'll end up with something that's sellable, like a guaranteed, 100%. What I'm hearing is you fell in love with the problem too. And having been at a conference recently where we <laughs> ran into each other, I was laughing when I read your, your website and it said people sitting on floors by plug sockets. Mm -hmm. I was sitting on a floor by a plug socket. Yep. I met someone really neat sitting there and I'm still sitting on a floor by a plug socket and locked there until my phone has enough juice to keep going. Yep. So when you're talking about those kinds of needs and seeing that opportunity and then digging in, what I'm also hearing is that you fell in love with the problem. Yeah, it's, I, it's funny as my career progressed, I realized that I, I like solving, diff, solving difficult problems or things that took a long time. So mm -hmm. I'm a quilter and I like to hand quilt and I like to do each stitch on my own. And I like to put things together that take a lot of time to put together. So if you're interested in entrepreneurship or pivoting to tech and building things like your students are building, if you're interested in at all putting something together with your own hands and seeing what comes of it, mm -hmm. then, then it's it's for you and you're, you're kind of ideally placed mentally. It's a slog. It's a long time and it's a learning process too. I think being open to learning to learning from what your customers are saying mm -hmm. means you'll get there faster, but that's a big part of it. Staying in love with the problem. What I'm hearing too, is that you went ahead and you built it. And what we, what we see a lot is mm -hmm. that humans will tend to see that the answer is based only on what they know mm -hmm. and, and that the people who really truly innovate and go ahead and build it. And when they see something else is possible, all of a sudden they're willing to try something yeah. rather than staying with the tried and true, or, you know, we just need a bigger, this or a better of something mm -hmm. that already exists. Mm -hmm. I also recognize that happened when you were telling us a while back during the lunch and learn about being, becoming a fractional CFO, how you look at numbers and how you solve problems for businesses using numbers, I find is quite about having learned by living it and learning by doing. Tell mm -hmm. us a bit more about that and, and how, it, how you help businesses with recognizing what they most need to do. Um, yeah, a lot of, I think, I think for women not being like being a stay at home mom can be looked down upon, but I took all of the, what I knew to be a CFO from being a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. I have a budget for each thing every month and I track and I stay within it. And you know, when you have a, a grocery budget, for example, it's nice to be able to, when you go in, you get the stuff that you need for the week, but you're also like, okay, I'm at Costco. I got to grab things that'll last me for the next month. Right. There's a lot of planning for today and, and or executing for today and planning for tomorrow. So that all come came from being a stay at home mom. I applied that when, uh, we, when we started our businesses and then I, um, I again, just tried to learn the differences between personal finance and business finance and identify the differences and the similarities and learn as much as I could about it. A funny story from, you know, just not knowing anything when we started our first business, I thought if you started up a business that you were a startup okay. and I didn't know that there was a difference between a startup and a small business. So I Googled everything startup and a lot of the ideas that we brought to the table as a team were because I had read something on a startup blog or something on a startup page. So we really came at our, our small business, our mom and pop business with these startup mentalities and attitudes. Mm -hmm. So I had read about cash flow and burn rate. And so I was like, I know my burn rate. I know how much, you know, it's going to cost to get from milestone A to milestone B. And that was all just stuff I'd Googled online. And you know, there's a, 
I think there's always the battle between like fake it till you make it, but be authentic, mm -hmm. right? So I would go to a lot of networking events and participate in the conversations like I knew what people were talking about and that I knew what I was talking about. And then I'd run to the bathroom and write down all the words I had remembered that I didn't know what they were so I could Google them later. And I think if I would have been a bit too nervous to engage in those conversations, I wouldn't have had the words to Google. And I would always very proudly like use those words in a further conversation because I like had this new muscle to flex. But yeah, just diving in and being open to learning from other people with a base of knowledge and if your base of knowledge is having a stay-at-home budget and that's what you know that doesn't mean that you can't take those lessons and apply them to other mm. areas of of life and business well and it very much applies to the career transition is there's all sorts of skills and abilities that you transferred because they are transferable to other areas and yeah. other domains and what i'm hearing come through are two really thing two things really clearly right now one is your intense curiosity and another is a mindset of I don't know yet. Yeah. Tell us how those have served you in your businesses, in your life, in your career. Yeah, Joel's really taught me to be endlessly curious because he's very interested in tech and he'll he'll figure out a problem and just independently go learn. So I, I learn a lot from my husband on that regard. He's my co-founder and husband. Sometimes I don't clarify that and people get confused. <laughs> so that kind of curiosity and the willing to learn something new, even though it's complex, like like tech. What was the other hard up part of the question? I don't know yet. Oh yeah. yeah, so I had read something in the beginning that if you're talking to an investor, and this was back when I was, you know, we had our small business, but I was always reading startup stuff. You know, instead of fudging the answer, say, I don't know, but I can find out. And so I kind of always took that to, to mean like in daily life, like I don't know, but I'll figure it out. And that's good because it's, I like that phrase because it's honest, but it also places the onus on you as the entrepreneur to do the legwork to figure it out. And I've always had such good responses from that, that, you know, people really don't expect you to know everything. Mm -hmm. And every time I've had to say, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. The person's been like, awesome, get back to me. It's, it's such a refreshing thing to think that, or to know that you might be in a position where you think people have big expectations of you, but if you're just honest and real that you don't know everything, people are like, great, neither do I. So it served me well. That's a similar experience that I've had over some periods of time where I've said, you know what, that's actually not my best work. And I, I can refer you to someone else who would do a really great job because it's oh. really important to have someone who does that really well. Right. And what I found is rather than someone saying, oh, clearly you don't know anything or clearly you don't know what you're talking about, they actually really appreciated yeah. the fact that I didn't offer to do something or agree to do something that I knew someone else would be better equipped mm. at mm -hmm. and, and the trust that that fosters as well. When you're talking about the different books, you were reading all sorts of books about startups and so on, any that particularly stood out to you that you'd say, ah, oh, if you were at this point, you're even thinking of starting a business, here are some that really lit me up and really helped me. At, I, I read a lot when I was younger and then I, I didn't when I had small children and then I, when I had small children in a small business, I, I didn't read. My goal this year was to become a reader again okay. so there wasn't really a lot that I read at the beginning that was a must read or super inspiring but right now I'm really into stoicism mm. and that has been so helpful so so helpful because the problems that if you're not familiar with stoicism it's a it's a and this is gonna make me sound really smart but i don't know much about it at all it's a group of philosopher philosophy from ancient rome so there's different kind of groups of philosophers and some of them would just sit around 
philosophizing or whatever that word is and not actually doing but the stoics were actually doers and so a number of them that kind of built the all the books or were very notable stoics were people that lived these really real lives so i believe seneca is the one that he was born a slave it was seneca or epictetus he was born a slave and his master broke his leg and he ended up getting out of slavery and becoming a stoic master and dying as a famous stoic that's lasted throughout the year from the most mm -hmm. humble beginnings then there's marcus aurelius he's the reluctant king he's you know there's all these roman emperors and they're all kind of crazy and taking advantage of their position and he didn't want it he was a second son and he reluctantly became this leader and um really decide to make the best of it their struggles and what they talk about and what they and what they they've gone through are 100 percent exactly applicable to everyday life it's remarkable so reading about that this year has really helped me with my mental health to see the bigger picture mm -hmm. and not focus on the day-to-day -day, whether it's good or bad previously i used to really latch on to something really great and be like, this was a big win and try and hold on to that feeling and kind of be upset if that was a fleeting, if it, it was fleeting, because mm -hmm. those wins are fleeting. They, you, you, you chase after them for so long, you try so hard and then the next day it's gone, right? So detaching myself from the good or the bad has really helped me just stay in love with the problem and the actual work. A book that really helped me too was this this year was the Roosevelt Women. I learned a lot from because mm -hmm. I like all the quotes by Teddy Roosevelt. I'll mm -hmm. read him. But all of the women in his life and in FDR's life, their sisters, their mothers, their aunts, their daughters, so inspirational about how they made things happen kind of in a man's world in the early 1900s. That was awesome. So I highly recommend that one, the Roosevelt Women. And then the last one, which is on my list, and I haven't read it, but it's my favorite quote, especially for entrepreneurs, is this book by Admirable Stockdale. And he was put in a, he's an admirable that was put in a Vietnam war camp mm. and how he got through it. And so he says, you must never confuse the faith that you'll prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Mm -hmm. So that one hits me always really hard because as an entrepreneur, your the facts that you're living in can be brutal, really brutal. And sometimes you need to, to pivot, transition like we're talking about today. But if you always keep that end piece in sight, you'll you'll get there eventually. When I'm hearing some shared traits across all of them and what I've experienced in getting to know you that you also share is that those external labels, those external circumstances didn't define those people. And what I've experienced in getting to know you is you have never let, whether it's stay-at-home mom with seven years of no work experience, whether it's non-tech person, you don't belong in tech, mm -hmm. whatever it might be that those external labels you do not allow to limit you. Tell us more about how, what you discovered about yourself that you really wanted to invest in further and put out into the world. Just that, I think accepting the fact that I didn't have um, certain things that would be maybe expected of an entrepreneur or CFO. Mm -hmm. What I found out, somebody told me once, well, you're not gonna get stuck in the same ruts as somebody who's been doing this mm -hmm. for 20 years is. You're gonna see everything with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. And so I now see that as like a badge of if you come into a room with, you know, these very seasoned people that have years of wisdom with them, that's great, but you can't discount the fact that fresh eyes and a fresh perspective, the perspective that a stay-at-home mom can bring to a startup and an and a in a executive level at a startup, that's probably that might be exactly the the perspective you need because it served us well. 
So I think it's those things used to be considered liabilities and maybe to some extent still are, but they haven't been in our case. I joke around all the time. I have no business being in business. Like hundred percent, you know, (laughs) and similar circumstances. I was a stay at home mom. I I was the main caregiver and I thought, I don't want to go back somewhere full time. And so what can I do? What can I create that still allows me to be the parent I want to be right now and be fulfilling something for myself as well and doing something meaningful and purposeful in the world. So, well, I better start my own business. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is that I I heard somebody with say recently, I was in a conversation with someone that said kind of this great coming back to work really is going to put women at a disadvantage because now progress is and productivity is going to be measured in hours again. Whereas if you have a woman that is juggling her children, her marriage, other things in life, she'll get the same amount of work done in six hours that somebody else can do in nine. Mm -hmm. And I think, I hope the pandemic has taught us to prioritize that, um, or not prioritize, applaud that versus Mm -hmm. be like, well, if you're not here, you're not working. And if Mm -hmm. you're not working nine hours a day, it's not, it's not a fit for us. So so how are you leading your company to bring that kind of thinking in and, and role model that for other business owners? Joel's really good at that. He always, he, when I get anal about if I'm not doing something right or doing something long enough or I need to take a break, he's he always like checks me on that. We learned through the pandemic that sometimes you can put a lot of hours in and sometimes you just can't. The mental mm-hmm. toll it took was very difficult. And some days all I could do was check my email because I just didn't see how we could get through this or didn't Mm -hmm. see, I couldn't see the end. And I still can't see the end with any form of certainty in that, but the uncertainty really was getting to me because we were risking and juggling so much. So that was quite difficult. I mean, any of these transition things that we're talking about weren't easy and they weren't happy at Mm -hmm. the time. They were very difficult, but trying to model within our company and within our organization that to come onto the, the chat and say, I need a mental health day. I've tried to be honest with that and not just take time off and not tell the team why letting not letting just being okay with our our team taking meetings with kids crawling all over Mm -hmm. them I we famously had a demo and we were in the middle of the pandemic and the little guy had a stomach bug and our employee was like trying to mute at the right times because they were just in a small space that had thin walls and he had the stomach bug and and just not penalizing him for that and being like, you know what, if someone doesn't want to work with us because of that, we don't want to work with them either. So just trying to make our employees comfortable with the fact that family's there, life happens and that we're okay with it, I think makes them more productive in the end and more invested in the ultimate success because they don't have to be perfect. We, we like to say, you know, if you're meeting your goals, like done, take time, take that time, buy that, buy back, uh, buy that time back, right? Earn that time by by being more efficient. And the other one is just get it 80 or 90% there. And then the team's job is to help Mm -hmm. you solve the rest of it. So never an expectation that you have to bring to the table something perfect and complete, because that's not what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurship is come up with an idea and see if you can take it to market and then listen and and finish off from there. Listen to your customer base. So we do that with our client, with our, our team is say, just do your best to get it 80, 90% of the way there, bring it to the team and we'll help you solve the rest of it. I think that takes away the fear of being like, I have to answer to these people and it mm. might be bad. Well, and that is one of the paradoxes of especially small business and startup is we expect, we expect the entrepreneur to be everything. 
You're the yeah. accountant and the business development and the business delivery and, 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 and yet we know mm -hmm. that no one can do all of it. So mm -hmm. what I'm hearing is that you also built up a team and that the team supports each other in bringing your best stuff mm -hmm. and we can help you finish off the stuff that maybe you're not the best at and collectively we can yeah. cover it off. That's what we're looking at too as we build the business and, and fundraise too is that if we have this amazing opportunity to do maybe a round of fundraising, how do we build our board strategically to fill gaps in leadership that we don't have? So we know really well what we're good at and Joel and I don't really like butt heads or cross paths at work. We're aware of what each other does, but he knows what I like to do and what I'm good at. I know what he likes to do, what he's good at. So it's a waste of time for me to take that on. But taking a look at what we're not good at and hoping that as people want to grow this with us, that they can not work in the business, but give us guidance and support in what we're not maybe that strong at. Mm -hmm. I used to feel a lot of pressure that I had to per, like act like I was very good at everything or I had a handle on everything. And that comes with the, I don't know, but I'll find out saying I'm not good at that. But, um, there's a lot of people that are really good at that. Maybe they should just, we should have them come on board and do that for us and then we can learn from them. And that's part of what we, we like to talk quite a bit about, whether it's at Inception U, whether it's in, in other ventures that I've been in, is when we wanna to play to our strengths, it doesn't mean you ignore your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do we help people get clear on what are you really good at? Mm -hmm. Be aware of what you're not very good at, acknowledge it, don't try and cover it up and bury it because it'll bite you so at some point, mm -hmm. and instead build up others that, that is what they're great at. Yeah. Uh, and instead of trying to fix something about yourself or become great at something you're never going to be great at, yep. you may actually be denying a team member a chance to shine. Yeah, and that's that, true. And what a loss that would be if we did that. Yeah, that's true. It's I know for, for me and probably some other people, it takes a little bit more self-confidence to, to admit that, that I really suck at something. And that took a while for me to develop a thick skin to, to hear from someone else that this isn't good or you aren't good at that and not take it personally. So I try and cultivate or I have tried to cultivate a thick skin by asking people for critiques mm -hmm. proactively. Because if it's somebody like you, like I trust you and if you say, you know what, I, I really have never seen any evidence of you being strong operationally, maybe you should think about that, that wouldn't upset me. So finding people that you trust to give you critiques regularly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's considered coaching or what, but that's very helpful because if you hear regularly the things that you're not good at in a way that's supportive and kind, it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Brene Brown talks about this as well, that we often, you know, we're so, we feel weak when we make ourselves vulnerable. We feel mm -hmm. weak when we admit that we don't know something. And so again, we try and cover it up and yet we admire people who can acknowledge right? openly, oh, I'm, that's not my strong suit. And we're like, oh, they're so brave. And what does it take to harness, to be able to embrace that kind of bravery? How do you find that within yourself? Well, I would put that back on you because I honestly don't know. I struggle with the potential of social media and I see people who are authentic on social media. I can't seem to get there. I can try, I can try and be honest. And all I think and when I do that is that if I post it this way or say something like that, the people that are trusting me with their budgets, with the execution of something that's important to them are going to view me as incapable. Mm. And I have to, that's the hard part about being, having your own business is you have to juggle being authentic 
with being capable. So I don't necessarily see being authentic as being weak, but I'm afraid it's going to portray that I'm not capable. So I don't know how to do that yet. I'll offer in every conversation you and I have ever had, you're so authentic and oh, you're geez. able to share. You know? Well, it's because you're nice. <laughs> well, thank you. Social media is mean. <laughs> well, and I, I do pick and choose. I will be honest. I do pick and choose what I'll put on social media as compared to in conversation true, with true. others. So and what I hear often from from you and when I, when I see what transition and, and adding on the AR, and I'd really like to dig into that a little bit as well, is very much this and thinking hmm. that it's not where the recession hit it was and what are the opportunities then the pandemic hits and you've got an events-based hardware company and <laughs> nobody needs it and what's the opportunity in here mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about that and about how the ar came out as well as the next evolution i've always been not jealous but very i admire people who find themselves in these really ideal circumstances. Like imagine being Ford when automobiles were coming mm. out. Like it almost seemed easy that he could capitalize on that. He saw a trend and he picked it and he went with it. And seeing other people that have done that and thinking, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to be in one of those situations? And when, when we started our businesses, you know, influencer marketing was already very popular. We're too late to really be a beginner in that. We're too late to be a beginner in this, but just being like, man, that would be great. If just, you could catch a trend early and just really ride that wave. Well, that would be amazing. And then I've, so I've always kind of pictured in my mind that that would be really cool. And then my spouse, Joel, who is our CEO, he's I was probably sick of me saying this about him, but he has this skill of seeing what needs to be done right now and today mm. and juggling that with what does the business look like in five years? Mm. And then five years down the road has never been the same. I mean, when it was charging, it was charging, but when that stopped, he juggled the actions that we had to take those first couple of days when everything shut down and the first couple of weeks, we had to choose the activities for that day based on what we thought the business would look like in five years. And so as soon as the pandemic hit, we didn't know what was around the corner, but we agreed on a couple of things. We agreed on, let's view this like it might last 10 years. Mm. Let's view this as this might last for the, it might be the next great depression. Because if we had viewed it as a two year thing, maybe we could have held out and just did a, played it safe and just stayed hardware. But what if, if this is gonna last 10 years and it could mm -hmm. have, mm -hmm. what, what was our life gonna look like? So what actions did we have to take? And we kind of just said to each other, like almost every day when we were, I was freaking out, just saying, there's gonna be an opportunity. Just keep your eyes open, just keep mm -hmm. your eyes open. So that helped me freak out less and mm -hmm. just watch and just watch and just wait and be careful and watch. And what we saw right off the bat was that we had an idea that if we can make the branding on the chargers come alive, that that would engage mm -hmm. people more and we could and charge more money for it. Mm. And Joel said, well, that's augmented reality. He had been investigating it for a year and a bit and like kind of testing it on people <laughs> surreptitiously and getting a really good response. So we thought, okay, let's, let's, let's build a few things and put them in front of people. And we just watch their reactions. Okay. And then we, we got a bit of validation there. So we went out and on the internet and did some research and we just looked for common threads. What are friction points? What are barriers to this being a widely adopted thing? And we based it, our idea that a brand that came alive was more dynamic and impactful than a static brand. And we just watched from there until we had a good idea of 
what the barriers were, how we could overcome them and how we could position it in the marketplace and who we were selling to. And once we kind of just knew a few of those things, man, we tried to sell that like so fast. We, (laughs) that's like an example of like, you know, being lucky in our circumstances because we didn't have, we did not have the luxury to make it perfect. Right. We just went and figured it out. So we would on LinkedIn, can we have a coffee? Can we have a coffee? Do you know what AR is? Let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And, and by the end of the year, we had launched SOS web AR and had our first customer. Fantastic. Yeah. And I love hearing that. I love hearing how you built it and then you tested and you iterated and you kept going and, and saw an opportunity and built enough of something and then observed what happened. Yeah. What were the things that you observed? What were those lights that went off that had you say, I think there's something here? Things that we observed were these kind of random studies that we saw that we kind of put together as statistics as to how your brain responds to augmented reality. Mm. Once we put them all in a one pager for a pitch deck to a customer, we realized like these are unheard of stats in Mm. marketing as a whole. So that was, that was crazy numbers. Cause we like to deal in facts. Uh, facts are important to us. What we were observing was that not a lot of people, you know, maybe in the group that we're a part of like people who are into tech and entrepreneurship and stuff, maybe they will buy wearable sunglasses, Ray-Bans that can do AR, but the average person doesn't care to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they will in about five years, but not right now. So people were not interested in buying wearables at this point. And that people were sick of downloading apps. So mm-hmm. AR was cool and we had a couple of different ways we could deploy it, app-based or web-based. And so we, we doubled down on web-based because personally, when we go somewhere, if we're gonna, if we wanna experience something and it says download this app, I'd, I'd rather not have the experience. I just mm-hmm. wouldn't. So those kind of three barriers, once we remove them, we really believe in simplicity. So kind of like explain this to me like I'm five. Once we could land on how we communicate it and removing the barriers, it was easy, really easy for people to adopt. It's like, oh, of course this would be part of my marketing strategy. You're talking about removing barriers. As a business owner, as an innovator and an entrepreneur, what are some barriers that would be, that you see would be really helpful in in entrepreneurship and in getting ideas off the ground? This is probably not the answer you're looking for, but I think we have been talking a lot about lately People and women particularly that have been told over the years that they have anxiety or depression. I'm hearing lately that a lot of that has been misdiagnosed as ADHD. Mm. And so looking for an alternative diagnosis actually led me to a diagnosis of a trauma disorder. So mm. I don't think, I think, I think if you're noticing that you're your own barrier mm. to, to take the time to, to dig through that. Cause once I address my diagnosis and work through therapy, it's a whole different world out there. And I'm very way more equipped to dealing with being an entrepreneur and the risk and the uncertainty, but also the awesome opportunities that come with it. Now that I, I know how my brain works because you know, when you have a trauma disorder or any other mental illness, it affects your brain. So instead of viewing it as a weakness, viewing it as a superpower, like I'm going to really dig in and figure out what goes on inside my head and why I react or feel or think the way I do then you can anticipate your reaction and in different situations and really preemptively work towards better outcomes. So I think I, if, if anyone's out there, it's like me, I was my own biggest 
or your own worst enemy because I hadn't dealt with that. And I didn't even know it was there to be fair. But once I did, I was like, okay, we got to deal with this. So yeah, I think that takes a level of honesty that, you know, it's hard to approach. And so if, if your spouse or parents or whatever have ever said, like, I think you might need help with this. Have you ever considered looking to, into this? You know, putting the defenses down and saying, well, what is my opportunity here? I can look into it and maybe learn something about myself or find out I'm completely normal and great, carry on. But kind of just accepting, you know, whether somebody's creative or analytical, it's, it's really, it's not, a, there's no values around it. It's just way you, the way you work. The understanding that about mental illness is, I think, a big, really important thing. Understand mm -hmm. how your brain works and how your emotions are and then using them to your advantage. So one more time, I'm hearing that you don't let anything, any external labels define you, that you had the courage to look within. What we'll often see is that people will internalize that kind of thing, that mm. barrier, and think there's something wrong with me and I'm incapable and so on. And going back to an earlier question about being vulnerable and you're like, well, I don't know that I do it. I'd offer, <laughs> here's a living example of how oh. you do do it and how in sharing what you just shared right now, it actually opens doors and, and pathways for others to, as you lead by example, to see that maybe there's some way that I can dig into some things about myself and remove some barriers that are actually internal as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. If anybody needs to get me on LinkedIn and tell me about their issues, I'm open. No, seriously, it can be yeah. really scary. Yeah. Sometimes the best thing you can do to somebody who's considering getting help for mental illness is just say, I'll go with you. I'll just come with you. Yeah. That can be a big help. So if, if anybody has been in that position, just ask someone to help you or go with you. And yeah, we've really kind healthcare workers in this province that, mm -hmm. you know, they don't, they don't act like something's wrong with you. They're just like, Oh, we're so glad you're getting help here. Let me yeah. help you. It's, it's, it's a lot scarier than people than it actually is. Yeah. Well, or it seems a lot scarier. And that stiff upper lip and suck it up buttercup. Mm -hmm. And I've yet to see anyone respond positively to being told, get over it. So yes. it's actually, how do I work through it? And what mm -hmm. are those strengths that I already have mm -hmm. that can actually help me work through this as well? And I'll continue to use them in all sorts of other ways. Mm -hmm. Anything that you, any words of wisdom, anything that you would say to someone who's thinking, I've got an idea, I see something out there that I think I can address that need mm -hmm. to help them with getting started? Yeah, a, f a few things. Don't wait. Just just mm -hmm. test it, right? That whole idea about fail fast, that kind of just makes you sound like you're going to fail right off the bat. Go for it, but be clear on what you're willing to sacrifice and what you're not willing to sacrifice. Mm. So we were really clear with each other at the beginning about, you know, how much of our savings are we going to put into this? Are we willing to remortgage our home? Are we willing to ask friends and family for a friends and family round of fundraising? No, no, no to all of those. I was not comfortable with, with that at all. But once you and your potential business partner or just you know what you're willing to risk and what you're not willing to risk, that narrows down your options. And that makes it seem less overwhelming when you're, when you're deciding, how am I going to fund this business? How am mm -hmm. I going to move it forward? Um, and that applies to lifestyle. Am I willing to give up a couple days with my kids or am I not? That, mm -hmm. that'll determine when you work, right? Am I willing, how long am I willing to do this, right? If you give yourself a year and say, I'm going to go hundred percent on this a year, I'm not willing to give the rest of my life to a maybe you got to move a lot faster than someone that says, you know what, I'm going to give this five years and really see what comes out at the other side. So, um, 
you know, none of these answers are good or bad in and of themselves, mm. but it can seem kind of nebulous if that's the right word of like, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to put everything I have into it. Well, everything you have might be different than somebody who's willing to put 50 grand in a checking account and work at it 40 hours a week. You might put $2,000 in a checking account and give it uh, every Saturday for one year. Um, but knowing that up front, it'll help you make decisions faster. And once you put boundaries on that, you're a lot clearer about what you're going to allow other people to put in, in, in your way as, as well. Mm. You know, you're not, if let's say the value is I'm not willing to ask friends and family for funding for my business. Well, if your friend who is affluent wants to get in on the action, you might be like, no, like there's reasons why I didn't want friends and family in this. Sorry, I'm not seeking investment right now. Whereas if you're willing to take any and every check that comes your way, um, you know, then, then you would contemplate him, him investing. And again, neither are good or bad. It just helps your decision-making become a lot faster. And when you put boundaries on what you're willing and to, what you're willing to do and not do. So what I'm hearing is, you know, yourself, you continue to get to know yourself because I mean, isn't that our whole lives is <laughs> we spend our whole lives trying to understand ourselves. You continue to foster curiosity. You operate by, I don't know yet. And you gain clarity around what, through that self-knowledge, clarity about what will work and what won't, knowing that there is no one single way to success for this, mm -hmm. so much as making sure it works for all of you, which mm -hmm. includes for you, your amazing husband, your great kids, your beautiful dog and everything else. And that you took all of that into account in decisions that you're making for your business. Yeah. I'd offer that's actually key to your success. And I continue to wish you more and greater and continued success. And I really thank you for your time and your energy today and for sharing your wisdom and insights. Thanks for listening to me, Amaron. I think you make it sound a lot better than it is, but it's, you know, if, if this works or doesn't work, I feel like we've learned a lot and, and we'll come out the other end happier. So that's, that's the best you can hope for, I think. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>